Hey, uh, I've got a friend of mine who is a, um, is, has a hunting and fishing show, believe it or not. I, that's what ex-athletes do. Um, but uh, he has a hunting and fishing show out of Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, he told me a story that I thought was rather interesting. I thought I'd share it with you uh, as it pertains to what we're going to discuss this morning. But he said that uh, he had gone to a hunting lodge uh, to film a show. And uh, while they were there, they had bagged a number of uh, birds, and they were aided by the local the guy who owned the lodge. He had a dog named Salesman. And uh, they had had a real successful trip. They used the dog. The dog was just a master at what it did. And uh, he had been away, and they had gone back there this year to do the same show. And uh, he asked the guy who was in charge of the lodge, he said, um, you know, can, can we have Salesman? He did such a great job for us last year. And the guy who owned the lodge said, Boy, that dog's nothing but a worthless piece of whatever. He goes, what do you mean? He did a great job for us last year. He goes, well, what happened was, he said, we had another crew come in after you, and all week long they mistakenly called him sales manager. (laughs) He said, now all I'll do is sit on his tail and bark all day. So (laughs) it does actually apply, believe it or not, and you'll see in a minute to what we're going to talk about. Uh, Chuck Colson, who was a former chief counsel to then-President Richard Nixon, and uh, Jack Eckerd of the Eckerd Drugstore chain. Uh, he began with two uh, stores and over a course of time ended up with 1,700 stores across the country that employed 35,000 people. Well, together they collaborated on a book that they recently released. It's called Why America Doesn't Work. And I'd like to read a brief excerpt from it um, as a means to introduce our topic for this morning. But they write this, and I think it's insightful as to what we as a society and a people are facing at the present time and and what we've got to face in the future. They write, perched on the brink of the 21st century, we we look out across the land where our families are disintegrating, our streets have become drug worn combat zones, our classrooms are turning out thousands of functionally illiterate and morally bereft young people. Our economy looks like it's on a roller coaster, and our government deliberately keeps millions idle, and our workforce produces second-rate products while demanding first-rate benefits. Things aren't working well here in America. The evidence is around us. Too frequently, all we have to do is to buy or use an American-made product. Something has happened to America's pride and workmanship, and and because of it, we are often being whipped in world trade. In most consumer ratings, American products consistently slip behind foreign competitors, and a recent study concluded that in 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 1990, the United States, alone among the seven great industrial nations of the world, suffered an actual decline in its real standard of living. They say that something is wrong, something is terribly wrong, and surveys reveal that fewer and fewer Americans want to work hard or take pride in what they do. Then there are the millions of citizens who don't or won't work, Five million people live in permanently subsidized unemployment while, while our welfare rolls continue to swell. Another million sit, bored and despairing in overcrowded prisons, unable to contribute any economic support to either their families on the outside or to the bloated budgets required to support the prison systems. And with all of this, our crime rate is the highest in the free world. The problem is so obvious that even a proudly liberal New York Times editorialist like Anna Quinlan acknowledges, quote, We are deeply dissatisfied with many of our social programs. If for no other reason, they simply do not work. Education, welfare, crime, all have come to seem like bottomless pits. Beneath them all is a black sea of poverty. Something is terribly wrong in America. Americans have had every advantage. North America possesses an abundance of natural resources and fertile land for for agriculture. 
and the pre-nuclear age, two oceans insulated us from the turmoil of Asia and Europe. Conquering the frontier bred a hardy stock of ruggedly independent men and women who fashioned a democracy that depended on the industry of every citizen. These forebears passed down to us a heritage of industry, thrift, diligence, and respect for property known as the Protestant work ethic. Based on that ethic, the world's noblest experiment in political and religious freedom created an economic machine that for over a century has been the marvel of the world. But the very thing that has made America great is in trouble today. Our economic engine is running down and we are losing our work ethic. I think it's insightful as it pertains as an introduction to what I want to talk about today. And basically the problem is when you get right down to it, there's no other way around it. I don't know if we could mince words, and it doesn't really matter if we could. You know, I wouldn't. And um, as we look at this, the problem really boils down to it's a problem of laziness. There's no other way that you can disguise what's going on around us. The problem is simply laziness, and at the root of everything that they introduce in this book that they write, the problem is very simple. And it's laziness, and I think you'll be fascinated to know that the Bible has a lot to say about laziness, particularly in the book of Proverbs, which we happen to be studying. And uh, so, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me for a moment to Proverbs chapter 6, and we're going to examine what I believe to be at the root of the problem. And that problem is very simple, a problem of laziness. And uh, for clarity purposes, what we're going to do, this morning we're going to take a look at the characteristics of laziness. Uh, and the next week we'll take a look at the consequences for our laziness and also a cure for it. And the good news is often is the case in Scripture, not only does the Bible help us to identify what our problems are, but gives us very practical solutions and actions that we can take to change our behavior. And that's really what it's a matter of. It's a matter of changed behavior. And uh, God gives us the power and the strength and the instruction through His Word and the, through the power of His Holy Spirit within us to be able to make changes in areas where we have learned to do that which was wrong before Him. The problem of laziness. It's interesting if you've got that, look at Proverbs chapter 6. It's interesting as you go through it, but God has some tremendous condemnation for the problem of laziness. And you know And I think that many of us have gotten to the point where we believe that laziness is just a problem and not a sin before God. And we need to understand what the Bible has to say. Laziness is nothing short than a sin before God. And we need to understand that, and we need to deal with it, and we need to address it. And uh, basically, there are two Hebrew words that are used in the book of Proverbs. One has to do with, um, has to do with uh, the lack of motivation. And basically, that's what laziness is. And 16 times it's used in the study that we're going to do. It specifically means just that. A lazy person is one who lacks motivation to accomplish anything. And so in Proverbs chapter 6, we read in verses 6 through 11 as a way to introduce our subject. It says, um, Go to the ant, O sluggard, and observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief officer or ruler prepares her food in the summer and gathers provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to the rest, and your poverty will come in like a vagabond, and your need like an armed robber. Flip to chapter 24, and we see a follow-up passage in verses 30 through 34.
He writes, I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep and a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. It's a fascinating look as to, as to, the, as to the problem of laziness. And uh, like I said, what we're going to take a look at this morning is the characteristics of laziness. And uh, many of you, I'm sure, know an individual or two that you'd consider lazy. How many agree with that? And many of you have probably discovered that they have your last name but are younger than you. Uh, yeah. So you figure it out. And there's people going, what does that mean? They're, going, they're whispering to each other. I like that. That's good. And uh, so what we need to do, it's, it's always fascinating to consider. I mean, if you think about these people that you have in mind, um, what are some of the, the characteristics that you associate with them? And, I, and this, is, this is our audience participation time. I always enjoy this particular time because you always amuse and amaze me at some of your answers. And it uh, gives me good stuff. I write them down. I jot them down because some of this stuff is priceless. You couldn't read this stuff out of a book. And uh, so let's picture in your mind for a moment one of those lazy people. Many of you have agreed that you know people that are lazy. You raised your hands so we know that you know who you're thinking about. And many of you laughed when I said they have your last name and are younger than you. So we're able to narrow it down to where there's actual people that you know. What makes them, in your opinion, lazy? Okay, they're self-centered. But does that necessarily make someone lazy that's self-centered? It can. Okay. Oh, sure it can, because that was your answer. <laughs> what are you going to say, right? <laughs> oh, no, I was so stupid, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> well, of course it can. Well, it can, and it, sure, it can. Uh, no, I can't, really. Stan. Okay, someone that's spoiled. Now, see, we get very sensitive. We're in a sensitive area here because if they have your last name and are younger than you, you've got to ask yourself some very difficult questions. How did this happen to them? Right? I mean, you have to ask that. They're grandparents. That's what it is. Yeah, so you grandparents out there, take note. All right? Um, so they're spoiled. And you mean by that what? They smell bad. <laughs> no. What? Okay, they've just been handed everything. All right, and as a result, they have no concept of what it means to work for something. There's an interesting idea. Yes, sir. Okay, they're procrastinators. Why do it today if you can get away with putting it off till tomorrow? All right, interesting point. And then all of us are starting to get real uncomfortable here. It's like... Hold on, hold on, hold on. I will acknowledge you in a second, sir. Yes, ma'am. They have no sense of responsibility. And what specific, can you share with us something specific that you know of a lazy person that has no sense of responsibility? Because sometimes it really helps. That's what's so nice about illustrating these things. If you, if you can think of something. If not, you've got your answer out of a book. What? You know? Oh, you don't want to. Does it have to do with your husband? <laughs> yeah, it does. She's like, Ah, that's fine, that's fine. We don't want to, that's fine. No sense of responsibility. What else? A lack of desire to cooperate. In what way? 
Oh, 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 good, good. Did you hear that? They, they see things that could be done, but they don't do anything about it. How many agree with that? They see it, but you wonder sometimes, do they? Do they see it? I see it. You see it. They don't see it. Why don't they see it? Because they don't want to see it. That's right. They don't, care. They don't want to see it. Oh, I don't see it. I don't see it. Why don't you see it? I don't want to see it. Why? Because if I see it, I know I'm going to have to do something about it. So, you're somebody back there. Yes. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. The growing welfare state or a society that still grows, and it will keep growing if we don't do something about it. Especially in light of everything that I've seen from our current and new administration. Yes, sir. Okay. Alcohol and drugs have a lot to do with laziness. Yes. Oh, man, there we go. Here we go. We're going to talk about that. Lazy people, they've got an excuse for everything. Why do you do that? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, man. And then, oh, and then it's like, but you used that one yesterday. <laughs> oh, good. They, you know, you just, they do it. It's kind of like, I'll do it, but I don't like to do it. Well, with that attitude, you don't have to worry about that happening, huh? I mean, it's not going to happen. And so as we look at these things, it's interesting that many of us have a good grasp or at least a good concept of what a lazy person is. Uh, but what we need to do, though, is we need to always check to see if what we understand laziness is versus what God says it actually is. Because many of us would feel that some people are lazy when in actuality they're not lazy, not according to God's definition. And that's the only standard that we have to adjust our thinking to. So we need to understand that some of us don't think we're lazy, and we are, and some of us think others are lazy, and they're not. And so it goes back to the old thing, we don't know what to think, and that's why God's given us the Bible, so he can tell us what we can think. Because, again, his ways aren't our ways, his thoughts aren't our thoughts. What we've learned in our behavior isn't necessarily what God says is right or wrong. So we need to learn a new way of thinking. And that's the wonderful thing about the Bible, it teaches us to think right. The truth endures regardless of what we believe it to be. And so we need to understand that as far as the characteristics of laziness, um, the Bible has a lot to say about it. And uh, the first one that we're going to take a look at is, you saw in Proverbs chapter 6, go back to that for a second. I, I love this, and it's pretty, you know, talk about something that's, that's very vivid from an illustration standpoint. But in Proverbs chapter 6, look at it again and see what God has to say. He says, first of all, he says in verse 6, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Now, I like that. It's very easy to see what he's trying to get across. O sluggard. Have you ever seen a slug in your yard? Have you ever seen a slug in your house? Have you ever seen the chair that he usually sits in on a daily basis? <laughs> yeah, yeah, now you know what I'm talking about. We call them couch potatoes or whatever it is, you know. Uh, a sluggard. God says, oh, can, look at this sluggard, you sluggard. You slimy little slug. You, you, you're not in a hurry to get anywhere. You just kind of like slime your way across the sidewalk. You can leave for work in the morning and come home in the afternoon and the slug hasn't made it another six inches. He's not in a hurry, or she, to get anywhere. And I like that because I understand that kind of language. All right? Oh, you sluggard. 
You're not motivated to do anything. And you're no different than the slug in your yard, according to God, if you're a lazy person. The only wonderful thing is, is that he's created you in his image and likeness and he loves you anyway. Um, but he wants to make a point. You're slimy and you're not in a hurry to get anywhere. So clean up your act. All right? Or he's going to come after you with a salt shaker. No. Um, <laughs> that reminds me, did you ever see the Far Side cartoons? I'm a sick, demented kind of guy, and the three people that shake, shook their heads <laughs> will like this. But the Far Side cartoon, they've got, all, they got this picture of snails. And uh, they get the mother snail and the three baby snails. And the baby snails are running through the house. And the one has a salt shaker. And the mother's saying, I told you never to run through the house with a salt shaker. But, you know, it's, I, mean, I think it relates to like scissors or pen. You understand? Good. All right. Anyway, um, number one. Here it is. Okay. The first characteristic of a lazy person. Number one. A lazy person depends on others to give direction. Notice this in verse 7 of this passage. Consider the ant, observe her ways, and be wise. Learn from what you see. Number one is that which having no chief, officer, or ruler prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. What's he saying? He's saying that a lazy person depends on other people to give direction or they don't do anything. If you're not told what to do, guess what you'll do? Absolutely nothing. A lazy person depends on others for direction. They're not motivated. They're not self-starters, as we say. They're not self-motivated. They don't see the task, like we talked about. Can't you see that? No, I don't see it. A lazy person doesn't see anything. They don't see the obvious unless you point it out to them. Would you please pick that up? What? The thing you just tripped over. Oh, that's a good idea. I mean, it's kind of like, oh, now I see it. Well, why didn't you see it when it knocked you on your face? Oh, I didn't know I was supposed to pick it up. That's not my job. I thought that was my sister's job. Ah, you know, oh, sorry. Let's try to get this all worked out, okay? Um, you know, and it's kind of like that's what it is. A lazy person needs to be told what to do. And uh, it's interesting. This was illustrated to me. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful as a parent not to have to tell your children or ask them these questions? Did you brush your teeth? Did you make your bed? Did you comb your hair? Did you do your homework? Did you get to work on time? Wouldn't it be a wonderful world to live in if they just did what they knew they had to do without you telling them what to do? Oh, I know. It's heaven, right? <laughs> I know. It'll be like that someday, but not here on this earth. But it can be. It can be. Why do we have to continually tell people what to do? Hey, happy and blessed are the parent whose children do what they're supposed to do without being told what to do. What a wonderful household it would be to live in something like that on a regular basis. Did you do your homework? Well, you don't have to ask. You know I'd do it. I, it needed to be done. I did it. Did you make your bed? Well, of course. That's the first thing I do every time I get up in the morning. you brush your teeth? Well, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on over here? Oh, we're going to get to you in a minute there, folks. Because let me step on your toes for a moment as adults. Uh-oh, uh-oh, now we're getting personal here. We were doing a project a few weeks, uh, well, actually, it ended up, uh, it was a couple months ago. We were doing a project uh, for Bank of America. They were doing a tenant improvement, and they had some deadlines, and they had to have all this construction done by a certain date for move-ins and all the rest of it. And uh, the electricians that were working on this project got behind, and they had to bring in all these people to help trying to get caught up. And so we were there, and it was at 6 in the morning. There was 12 electricians on the job, and this isn't a statement about electricians. It's just a statement about 
the reality of the world we live in. And there were 12 electricians on the job. At 6 o'clock in the morning, 10 of them were working, and two of them were standing around, kind of scratching their ear, trying to figure out what they were supposed to do. Well, as the 10 who saw the two scratching their ear, they thought, gee, my ear is itchy too. And at 9, you know, and at nine o'clock, you know, six of them were scratching their ear, and six of them were working. By noon, two of them were working, and 10 were scratching their ear. And, you know, and, and I'm sitting there going, calculating out, this is costing somebody a fortune. Because they're not doing anything. And the point that was driven home to me at that particular time was, why were they doing this? Because they're lazy. Because they weren't motivated to get the job done. Because they had to be told what to do. Because no one was there watching them and keeping an eye on them and telling them what to do next. They didn't have a clue what to do because they didn't have a boss there. They didn't have a foreman there. They didn't have a lead man there. They didn't have a supervisor there. They didn't have anybody there telling them what to do next. So what did they do? They stood around and they didn't do anything. Now, let me get real personal for a second. How many of you, when the boss is away, play? I'm going to ask you a very personal and serious question. And we can get back to what the problem is in America. It's almost like, hey, you don't have two weeks or three weeks or four weeks vacation. You have your vacation and then your boss's vacation. Isn't that the truth? That's what I've seen in the workplace. Your boss on vacation, you're on vacation too. So you really get eight weeks vacation if you get four, if he gets four. If he's gone a lot, gee whiz, you probably don't have to work at all. And that's what happens. See, God says that a lazy person depends on other people to give direction, and if they're not giving direction, they don't do anything. Man, that's a sad commentary of our lives as believers. Should it really make any difference whether your boss is there or not? Should it really make any difference if you're a child, whether your parent asks you if you made your bed or not? Should it really make a difference if you're you know, a student, if a teacher shows up for class or not? Should it really make any difference if you're an athlete, whether the coach shows up or not? Shouldn't you be training anyway? Shouldn't you be preparing anyway? Shouldn't you be studying anyway? Shouldn't you be working anyway? See, at the root of the problem, the problem in America is that we're just lazy. That's all there is to it. And God indicts us very quickly when you consider what he has to say. We shouldn't need anybody to tell us what to do. We should know what to do and do it. But that's not reality, is it? And so as we look at this, what's wrong with America? Well, what's wrong with America is very simple. There are too many of us that need to be told what to do and how to do it. And even then, our attitude's wrong. We'll do it, but we may not like it. We'll do it, but we don't give it an effort. We'll do it, but we'll do a, you know, a halfway job of it. We'll do enough just to get by. And we've all grown content at being that way. And the reality of all of it is, as God says, that we're lazy people. I want to ask yourself a tough question. Do I need to be told what to do in order to accomplish anything at all? And the interesting thing is that most of us who are lazy, the next question takes care of itself. We don't have any goals because we don't know how to think. We don't have any goals because we don't have any desire. We don't have any goals because we're not self-motivated. We're not motivated. We're not self-starters. We're not looking for stuff to do. We don't have any goals at all. So therefore, unless somebody tells us what our goals should be, we don't even have goals. Which leads to the second problem. And that is that a lazy person fails to plan ahead. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11, again, we see the same ant that uh, isn't told what to do and still knows what to do and prepares for the time ahead. The ant prepares for the future, which having no chief officer or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. See, what a lazy person fails to do is plan for the future. Everything's today. Eat, drink, and be merry. Hey, live for today. Who cares about tomorrow? Let's just live for today. 
And the problem with that mentality is what has led us into the position that we're in, not only as a society, as, as a nation, as a state, but also as individual family units. We are so bent on pleasing ourselves today at the expense of tomorrow. We, we sacrifice, you know, the future on the altar of today. And we've begun to believe that that's the right way to live. And God says it's wrong. The lazy person fails to prepare for tomorrow. The lazy person fails to plan ahead. I like that because, you know, you don't realize, the lazy person doesn't realize the cyclical nature of our economy. Think about it. Throughout the history of the world, economies and what we learn from our past is very simple and that's how to act in the, in the present and how to prepare for the future. And it's too bad not many of us are farmers anymore because only farmers really understood and grasped this concept. They were in a very seasonal or cyclical nature as far as their workload was concerned. And they knew that, hey, you know what? There's a time to plant and there's a time to harvest. And, and that's the only time you can really make a living. And you better be out there planting when you're supposed to be planting and harvesting when you're supposed to be harvesting because the rest of the time there isn't anything that you're going to do about it. And so you need to think ahead. I love the sign in a, being in the construction industry in the builder's office. And I think I shared it one time, but I walked in it and I'm going to try to clean it up a little bit, but it makes a point. And he had a big plaque behind his, his desk, and it said, it said this, Please, Lord, give us one more building boom, and I promise not to urinate this one away. You understand what he's saying? You understand what he's saying? Hey, you know what? Many of us have, have, have been led to believe the good life is here forever. The good life is here forever. I'm always going to have this job. I'm always going to make this much money. Uh, and, 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 I'll, and the reason I believe that is because people will loan me money based on what I'm doing and how much money I make and, or the stability of my job. And, and therefore, they wouldn't give me a loan if they didn't think I could pay it back. Duh! You know? And we fail to plan for the future. Being in the construction industry is probably the greatest thing that, that I can learn from when it comes to biblical principles, especially in the heating and air conditioning business. Not many people are buying air conditioners right now. You know what I mean? And if you're in the, you know, no recreational skiing business, you know there's not a whole bunch that you're going to do in the summer. So you better work hard during the season of work that God has given you to make as much money as you can to prepare for the future because you need to plan ahead. And if you spend everything you make in half the year and you know you're not going to work the other half of the year, guess what? You're in trouble. Right? Does this make any sense to anybody? Thank you very much. You know, nod, shake your head, nudge each other, do something. But bottom line is this. We need to be planning ahead for the future. We need to stop living on every penny that we make today. And the only reason we are now is because no one told us this 10 years ago or 5 years ago or 2 years ago. And we're using, every penny we get now is to help support the debt that we've incurred over the last several years. So we're all in trouble. But at the point where you can say, hey, look, I need to stop and do this right. You need to stop living on everything that you make and you need to start setting aside for your future. Because I'll guarantee you one thing. Our government isn't going to be there to support you when you retire. Ha, ha, ha. You know, as sad as that is, it drives me crazy because I'm a lot, lot younger than many of you. <laughs> Not all, but many. And the reason that it's so fascinating to me is what a joke paying all this money into Social Security. And I know that, but I can't do anything about it because that's the law of our land, so I better be doing something else, like having my own retirement program that we can manage ourselves. Because if not, I can't trust 
our government to take care of my future. You know, and some of you are at a point where it's like, oh, gee, I hope he's wrong. And I hope I am for your sake, but I know I'm right in my case. Because it ain't going to be there that long. And what's the whole point? The whole point is very simple. We need to get back to the Bible and see what God has to say and stop trusting men and trust God. And believe his word. This is what he says. You better plan for your future. And stop counting on everybody else to do it because they don't have a clue what's going on. Think about it for a moment. You know, most businesses, if you look at them, are seasonal. Our state and national leaders should have recognized this a long time ago. But the reality of it is, how could they recognize it when they don't apply these same principles in their own personal life and they're the ones that are leading us in government? So all you can do is control the resources God has given to you and you need to be wise and look to the Word of God for help and direction and guidance. That's all, that I, that's all I'm really trying to get across. But a lazy person fails to plan ahead. I've been involved in professional athletes, working with athletes for about 10 years now. Every year they gave me a football with all their signatures on it, kind of thanking me for what I've done. And it's really fascinating because there's 47 to 50 signatures on each football every year. Ten years, that's 500 players, not counting those who repeat and come back. There's about 350 to 400 guys uh, that I have met over the course of the last 10 years that are in professional sports for one specific team, all right? Out of those 400 or 350, there's probably only six that I can think of off the top of my head that use the time that they're in professional sports as a window of opportunity to plan for their future. It's a tragedy. It breaks my heart every time I see them. And I look at them, I try to teach them and show them what God has to say, and it kills me. It... They're on the streets, they're broke, they're into drugs, they're selling drugs, they're into alcohol, they're ruined. Oh, glamorous life. I know we all wish we were one of them, but um, the reality of all of it is is that they don't plan for their future. They think they'll go on forever. And you know what? That, that mentality is not just true of professional athletes. It's true of many of us who sit here today. We need to be preparing for the future. And that the root problem, why don't they prepare? Very simple. They're lazy. They think the money and the ability is going to last forever. It doesn't. And all i got to do is give them the same illustration. Hey, I've seen 350 of you people go through here. Trust me when I say this. You're not going to be here much longer, and I may never see you again. And every year at the end of our Bible study season, I sit in a room with a bunch of people that I know this side of heaven I may never see again. Because that's the nature of their business. Here today and they're gone tomorrow. They're yesterday's news. We elevate them, then we forget about them. That's reality. And many of us would trade places with them in a minute. You just say, yeah, and give me five years of making 500000 or 200000 or 300000 I'll trade with them in a minute because I'll be different. <laughs> oh, yeah, how are you going to be different? You're not even doing what you're supposed to be doing in the position you're in. You need to be faithful in little before God will let you be faithful much. But the reality of it all it is is that a lazy person fails to plan ahead. Number three, a lazy person doesn't maintain what he or she has. Look at Proverbs 24, which we read in the beginning. Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34. It's interesting. He says, I passed by the field of the sluggard. There we go again, that little sluggy little thing. I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man who lacks sense. He said, behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. And listen to what he says. When I saw it, I reflected upon it. And I looked and I received instruction. What's he saying? I learned from what I saw. And what he saw was 
that a lazy person failed to maintain what she, he or she has been given. Think about it for a moment, parents. What's the thing that aggravates you most about lazy children? They don't take care of what they have. Take care of what you have. Maintain what you have. And you know how you can tell a lazy person? You can tell by the way their yard looks. You can tell by the way their house looks. You can tell by the way they dress and keep themselves. You can tell by the way their car looks. You can tell by the way their office looks. And I may add, smells in all these cases. You can tell by all of these things, whether at the root problem that person's life, they're lazy people. They don't maintain what they have. And you know what's fascinating to me? You don't have to have expensive things to make them look nice. You don't need to have expensive things to make them look nice. All that you need to do is maintain them. A lazy person doesn't do it. You know, being in our business, we go into a lot of residences to change out, you know, heating equipment, uh, air conditioning equipment or whatever. And it is unbelievable what you'll see. And I know, looking out at you people, that some of you people are like this. I know that now. I wouldn't have believed it before. But I walk into houses, and you go like this. You go like that. Oh, where, where's your furnace? <laughs> it's, uh, oh, it's behind here. And you open up, and it's like, books, magazines, like, just vacuum cleaners. There's stuff thrown all top of this thing, you know. It's only a fire-burning stove. And they got books and magazines and stuff all stacked on it. And it's like, but that's all right, because that's what their whole house looks like. And you walk through it and you go, please don't ever invite me for dinner. <laughs> oh, gosh, we'll have to have you and your wife over sometime. Please don't. Oh, give me a better price. Please don't have me come back. You know, but it's, but it's like that, you know. It's, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is sick. And I should take my wife because she's like the field general of cleanliness. <laughs> she is. She's amazing. I mean, she, I mean, it's like Muhammad Ali used to laugh about it. He was so fast that he could flick off the switch and be in his bed before the light got dark, you know. That's what my wife's like when it comes to cleaning the house. You couldn't drop anything before it snatched out of midair. It's gone. It's like there. And it's gone. And it's clean. And it's great. And it's nice. And it's like, a, you know, it's like a model home. And our kids are like, man, you know, what is this, a museum or a house? You know? It's like sometimes you, got like, you figure we're going to put like a rope on our living room. You know, that little, that velvet, crushed velvet rope. You know? Like this. And, and put little signs on our pictures and stuff. And, you know, and, and I make fun of her. And then when I go into some other person's house, I go, oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for a wife who asked their kids, did you brush your teeth? Did you clean your room? Did you make your bed? Look at your closet. Let's clean it out. <laughs> you know, you know, it's like, and it's like, and you go, Lord, thank you. Because she knows what it means to have a work ethic. She knows what it means to maintain what she has. And that's a wonderful, what a wonderful thing. I mean, you ever get in someone's car and it's like you're sitting on gumdrops and, and Cheerios and cookies and, and I know we had small kids and it's a battle but it's a battle worth fighting. Get those out of there. You know what I'm saying? It's like, man, you know, the lazy person doesn't maintain what they have. Parents, don't tolerate this in your children. It's a terrible character flaw. Don't tolerate it. And fight them. Fight them. Fight them. <laughs> My wife would be so proud of me. It's like... She's taught me so well. 
But it's like, but I mean, but but it's biblical. It is. Maintain what you have. A lazy person doesn't. You know, it's interesting. I was in Seattle one time. A guy owned a uh, car dealership, and he was an older man. He was in, in uh, well, gee, I don't want to say now because some of you, uh, but he was an older than he older than me, and. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and he owned a car dealership, and he owned it for 40 years in the Seattle area. And every day, he still went into the office. And I asked him, I said, well, I mean, gee, you know, by now, you'd probably take it easy, whatever. Blah. He goes, no, hey. He goes, you don't understand. He goes, to have a successful business is like having a rose garden. It takes you 40 years to build something successful. And all it takes is six months of neglect before the weeds and the, and the rodents and the, and, the, and the insects come in and destroy everything that you've worked for for 40 years. i got to maintain it. It needs maintained. And isn't that so true? That's so true. Many of us think that when we get to a certain level, we could kick back and take it easy. you got to maintain. you got to maintain. To stay in shape, you got to maintain. Maintenance miles, they call it, or maintenance conditioning, whatever it is. You have to maintain, because once you lose it, man, it is a hard battle to win it back. And it's living a disciplined life. You know what, and, and let me ask you a personal question, because we're running out of time, but let me ask you this. Do you really believe that laziness is a sin before God or just some kind of a personal problem that you have? You know, take care of what God has given to you. He's entrusted it to you. It's not yours. If you would change your attitude about the things that God has given you and realize that you are just stewards or administrators or managers of what he has given to you to take care of for him, it changes your whole attitude about letting things deteriorate. It's not yours to let run down. If somebody says to you, would you please watch my house for me? Are you going to let it go to pot? You're going to maintain it. You're going to have some integrity. Your reputation's on the line. You're going to take care of it. Well, all the Lord's saying is that I've given it to you. Take care of it. Maintain it. And by the way, I can drop in at any time for a surprise inspection. What would he say when he came into your house besides, are you in here somewhere? No, he would know. But, it, you know, the point is there. What would he say? You know, what would he say? Man, if you take a look at it, it's an amazing thing. Oh, wait, one more. Number four. Lazy people desire things, but they don't want to work for them. Lazy people desire things, but they don't want to work for them. It's fascinating to me if you think about it. In, in uh, Proverbs 13, 4, it says, The soul of the sluggard desires, wants things, but has nothing, but the diligent, or the soul of the diligent, shall be made rich. Proverbs 13, 4. Proverbs 21, 25 says, The desire of the slothful kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. The battle cry of a generation that is before us is, Give me. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And the question is why? You know what God says? Work for, work for, work for, earn it, earn it, work for it. He'd give you anything. But see, but many of us are to blame. Like Stan was saying, many of our children are spoiled. Why? Because we wanted them to have what we never had. We wanted to provide for them all the things that we did without. But the interesting thing is, because you did without is the reason that you're in a position to be able to give what God has blessed you with. So now what we did was we do everything backwards. We want to hand to our kids everything that we had to work for because we were neglected from having it. And all that it did was teach us how to work and earn it. But what we're going to do is we're going to give them now to our kids so they don't know, have a clue 
And they're not going to have anything to give to their kids because they don't know how they got it to begin with because once you're dead and gone, the legacy that you left was a legacy of give me. And their kids are going to look at them and say, give me like your dad gave you. Well, my dad gave me because he worked. I didn't know that and I don't have anything to give you. So what I'd say you need to do is work for it. Yes, indeed. So every other generation, maybe we'll reestablish a work ethic again because in between, they're not going to have anything to give to anybody. Man, I lie. This isn't that difficult. It's just a matter of whether we believe it or not. God says a lazy person desires things but does not work for them. You know, that's so amazing when you think about it. There's so much advice in business today about working smarter and not harder. Can you say it? Let me see that. Work smarter, not harder. Let me ask you an amazing question that I thought of when I was putting this together. What if, just for instance, we work smarter and harder? Oh, oh my goodness. Whoa. Can you imagine? Whoa, that could be amazing. What could happen? We work smarter and harder. Oh, guess what? You probably get twice as much stuff done. Isn't that, oh, that's incredible, huh? It just blows me away. This is so deep. And you didn't pay anything to get in here and listen to this. Although you had to listen to Larry. But hey, you know. Look, he says, the soul of the diligent. God blesses hard work. He blesses diligence. And he condemns the person who just wants things but doesn't do anything for them. Isn't that amazing? This is some good stuff. You know, the problem is, let's be honest, it's no longer a priority to work hard in our culture. It really isn't. You know what the priority is in our culture? To hardly work. To get as much as you can for the littlest amount of effort that you can put in. That's our priority. You know, it's really sad and it's, and it's really discouraging when you think about it. You know, according to a recent business magazine, here's what the number one goal of those employed. This is the number one goal of those employed. To have more leisure time. To have more leisure time. That's interesting, isn't it? It's amazing. You get young people come for a job and the first thing they ask is, do you have a retirement program? You want to work a little bit first? I mean, it's good to plan ahead, and I understand that, keeping in context with what we're talking about. But how about working? Do you have a plan to work here or do you just want to retire from here? You know what I mean? It's like, hey, you know, it's like that's all we're cared about. How many weeks vacation do you have a retirement plan? Not what am I supposed to do to earn a, a paycheck around here or what's my job description going to be? Hey, how much vacation do I get and when can I retire? <laughs> well, gee, you know what? Start today. <laughs> you know, I mean, thanks for coming in. <laughs> so it's like, what are you going to do? You know, the work model is, hey, thank God it's Friday. The work model has become, I owe, I owe, it's off to work, I go. And that's the only reason we go. Why? Because we've got to pay our bills, not because we enjoy what we do, not because we take pride in what we do, not because we want to work hard and we want to do all those things. It's all because of every other reason. I'll close on this story. The story of a man who went to a stone quarry and he asked three workers this question. He said, what are you doing? The first one said, can't you see I'm cutting a stone? The second one said, I'm earning $300 a week. The third one said, he put down his pick, he thrust out his chest proudly, and he said, can't you see, I am building a great cathedral. What's your attitude toward work? I'll guarantee you, if it's anything less than that, you hate getting up Monday mornings. And if you hate getting up Monday mornings, and you hate going into work, and you hate doing what you're entrusted to do, then I'll guarantee you that your performance will reflect that as well. We need to understand what God has to say about lazy people. We need to take a good hard look at ourselves in the mirror and ask ourselves some questions. Do I need direction to get anything done? Do I plan ahead 
knowing that what God has entrusted me with today isn't going to last forever, but I need to be wise with the resources and spread them out over a period of time. Do I maintain what I have? If the Lord came today, would he walk in and look around with pride in a godly sort of way at the way that you have maintained what God has entrusted to you? Or would he get sick to his stomach? And the last thing is, hey, you know what? You can desire all kinds of things. And God does grant us the desires of our heart. But let me tell you one thing. He wants us to earn it. He wants us to work for it. He wants us to be diligent. And he wants us to take pride in what we do because we do all of it to the glory of God. John Sebastian Bach, at the end of every one of his compositions, wrote at the bottom of his page, SDG, Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this opportunity again to look at your word and the clarity of it. God, it's so indicting to many of us to look in the mirror that reflects your word in our lives. God, many of us don't live up to what we should be doing. We're lazy and that's all there is to it. There's no other way to get around it and it's a sin before you and we need to confess it. We need to agree with you what you say is right. God, we need to repent from it. We need to ask forgiveness every time someone's not there to give us direction when we fail to do what we know we should do. We need to be motivated to do what's right before you. God, we need to understand that. We need to plan for the future, knowing that our future is in your hands, and yet the resources you give us today, you also give us plenty of warnings about the future and how to plan ahead, how to be wise in what you've given us as a nation, as a state, and as individual families and individuals. God, help us to seek your wisdom for the many difficult decisions that we have to make as we deal with this that has been entrusted to us. God, help us to see that everything we do should bring praise and glory to you. We thank you for all the blessings that you've entrusted to us, but we realize that we're nothing more than stewards of those that are yours. Help us to maintain what you've given us, knowing that it's yours and not ours. God, we just thank you for this time that we can spend to look into your word, the freedom to do that. And we just thank you also for the challenge that lies ahead of whether or not we'll be obedient to that which we've just learned. God, may when people see us in the areas that we lack talent or ability, may they see we make up for it with diligence, persistence, hustle, and hard work. And may that be a testimony to the fact that we believe what you say. God, we just thank you in Christ's name. Amen.